So, to get into our message this morning, I am going to start with a confession. Um, and I'm guessing it's something that many of you out there today are guilty of as well. And my confession is this, that I don't like to do things that I'm not good at. Um, I just don't really like it. And here's an example. Um, a couple years ago, we were on vacation with, with Beth's family. Um, and Beth's mom, for some reason, decided that it would be really fun to do a lip sync dance karaoke contest. Those of you who know me know that that's not really my style. So um, instantly I tried to will my stomach into having intense pains so I could go make an escape to the bathroom. Um, but alas, it, it was too late for that. Um, and so I am proud to say that um, I, I managed to push myself through a, a stirring rendition of Bye 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 from NSYNC. Um, but it was definitely not one of my finest moments and just reaffirmed for me that I don't like doing things where I feel unconfident or uncomfortable. And I think, I think, that's, a common, I think that's a common feeling. I mean, I think that this characteristic spills over into more important things than karaoke as well. I think, I think it has implications for our spiritual lives. Um, last week, Melinda Graham did a terrific job of introducing us to, to the idea of lament, um, the biblical form of lament. And, and honestly, I think, I think that lament is something that the American church um, hasn't been very good at. It's not something that we do on a regular basis. I think we're a lot more comfortable um, in an atmosphere of, of celebration and an atmosphere of victory. And to be clear, I think both of those things have, have a really important place in, in Christianity and corporate worship. Um, but for me at least, and based on the churches that I've been a part of and the churches that I've seen, I'd venture to say that for most American Christians, uh, lament makes us feel a lot more uncomfortable. Um, it can feel very foreign. But as Melinda shared last week, we see lament all over the Bible. So that means that there must be really immense value in, in understanding and embracing lament. So, so that's what we're going to explore uh, further today. So to pick up where we left off last week, what is lament? Um, we've been using a book um, by, by a theologian named Soon Chan Ra. The book is called Prophetic Lament. Um, and that's, that's helped to guide us. And so we'll look to him for an answer. Um, and he says this, lament stems from an acute experience of pain, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. It is the human response to anguish and adversity and it is not bound by the rules of praise. Instead, lament can take the form of complaint in the sense of arguing with and complaining to God about one situation and protesting its continuation. So we see lament in several different books of the Bible. Um, Lamentations is the book that's most heavily dedicated to lament. And Melinda shared with us last week the historical context of Lamentations. And that was, that was the aftermath of, of the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. 
the city and the temple were, were destroyed, and the people found themselves in exile. Life as they knew it had been torn to shreds, and literally they felt as if they had nothing. And understandably, the this, this situation left people in, in deep pain, in deep grief, and deep confusion. And in Lamentations 3, we see the author of Lamentations, who is traditionally identified as Jeremiah, we see him expressing this soul-level pain. So look at these verses. He has walled me in, so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I don't know about you, but these are the types of scriptures that, that can make me feel really uncomfortable. These aren't the verses that we, that we post on Facebook with a hashtag blessed. This is Jeremiah lodging a very serious complaint against God. That God has trapped him. And that God isn't listening to his prayers. To be honest, these are the kind of things that I don't want to let myself think about. And whenever a, like if a friend says something like that, I, I find myself quickly reacting to it with a, a theological correction and saying, no, no, like that, that's not how God really is. But, but here it is in scripture, and, and it's all over the place, as we see similar language in most laments throughout the Bible. And in fact, if we look at the next verse, we even see a similar expression from Jesus, who quotes the first line of Psalm 22 when he's on the cross, when he calls out in a loud voice those famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this really takes it to the next level, right? This is not just, this is not a prophet complaining to God. This is the Son of God himself. So, so what do we do with the, with the discomfort that this brings? I think the most important thing is that we acknowledge the reality of the feelings, of, of the, the, the honesty that's being expressed. You know, after the destruction of the city and the temple, the Israelites deeply felt as if God had trapped them. And that God wasn't listening to their prayers. That God hadn't answered their prayers. And similarly, as, as Jesus continued to suffer upon the cross, he experienced the pain of feeling forsaken by God. Now, of course, we know the rest of the story. We know how God continued to walk with the people of Israel. And we know how God rose Jesus from the, from the grave in victory. But that doesn't mean that those feelings in the pit of despair, that doesn't mean that those weren't real and that those weren't legitimate. They were a raw expression of the intense pain that they were experiencing. Yet, I think unlike Jeremiah and unlike Jesus, many of us, myself included, were we're afraid to be that direct with our feelings with God. We, we think that we can't be angry with God, that we can't express 
our, our doubts or our questions because somehow that must reflect a lack of faith. And then we can end up doing some theological gymnastics that actually can create some really long-term damage. I think you see people rationalizing um, terrible accidents or even atrocities or, or abuse by saying that they must somehow be part, mysteriously be part of God's, God's greater plan or something. And that's because they think that they can't be angry with God. And in the process, though, like their whole understanding of who God is can become extremely distorted. And that's where lament comes in. Now, in, in contrast, that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture, in, like Lamentations, is people lashing out at God with, with unrestricted emotion. And throughout Scripture, we see God continuing to listen and continuing to interact with those who lodge such deep complaints against God. And if you take a second to step back and think about it, as, as strange as that might seem on the surface, it probably shouldn't surprise us all that much. After all, God, God is big enough to handle it. He's strong enough to know when we're reacting out of our emotions. And he's faithful enough to not take it personally and to keep listening to us. So I think a really important lesson to take away today is this. Um, Lord knows we, we find ourselves sanitizing everything these days, but, but one thing we don't have to sanitize is our feelings before God. God is big enough to handle our most raw, our most unfiltered emotions and expressions. And I think that's really relevant today. Um, certainly, you know, the situation we're in today is not the same as the destruction of the city and the temple that Israel experienced in 586 BC. But there's a lot of things going on today that can cause a lot of deep pain and suffering among us. The coronavirus has, has wreaked havoc throughout the entire world, causing illness and death among loved ones, causing isolation and loneliness for so many of us, causing the loss of, of jobs and businesses and income and, and keeping us out of places we love, like schools and churches. On top of that, Racial tensions uh, um, have continued to be at extremely high levels as we've witnessed more and more brutality and, and gross mistreatment of people of color, confirming the tragic reality that, that, that the culture stained by racism that has persisted for centuries in our society continues to be present, continues to manifest itself. And then we deal with personal tragedies as well, which, which rock us to our very core. And many of you knew my mom, who had uh, stage four lung cancer, but, but she was doing remarkably well and, and outliving her prognosis, um, both in terms of quality of life as well as quantity of days, only to suddenly die of a heart attack last month. These are things that affect us deeply that can make us feel absolutely powerless and full of questions that seem to have no answers. 
So what, what do we do with that? And what I think lament teaches us, what scripture teaches us, it's okay if you're mad at God when you think about these things. It's okay to go into your room and yell at God and tell God that you don't understand why things are happening the way that they're happening. Or tell God that you don't feel like things are fair. Or tell God that you don't feel like your prayers are being heard or answered. You know, I think we often have to choose our words really carefully um, when we're dealing with conflict or an emotional conversation with another person. But what Lamentations tells us is that we don't have to pull punches or, or mince words or dance around an issue when we approach God. We can tell God exactly how we feel, raw and emotionally charged as it may be. And he's big enough to handle it and love us just as we are. That might sound like dangerous territory, um, which I certainly understand. Um, so, so how do we do this? How do we unleash our, our deep pain and anger onto God without it destroying our faith? I think an answer comes in, in a surprising place. And just bear with me for a second, but I think the part of the answer comes in the alphabet. Let me explain. Um, when we look at the structure of lamentations, there's some very unique elements that carry some really deep meanings. Um, in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. Um, both Lamentations 1 and Lamentations 2 both have 22 verses. And each verse starts with the successive next letter of the alphabet. Then in Lamentations 3, there's 66 verses. For you, for you math fans out there, that's 22 times 3. And so um, in Lamentations 3, the structure changes. So the first three verses start with the first letter of the alphabet. Then the next three verses start with the second letter of the alphabet, and so on. Um, and that pattern is called an acrostic. Um, and theologians do really think that there's a couple important reasons why that structure is used in Lamentations. And the first of those is, is totality. You know, when we, think about when we say something is from A to Z, right? We say that we're saying that all of the possibilities are covered. Um, so because the lament is A to Z, right? It covers the whole alphabet. It's, it again shows that we can bring our full selves before God. We can bring every emotion, every feeling, everything that's inside of us, we can bring before God. And the second reason is it gives a sense of order, right? Like there's a very precise formula to how Lamentations is set up. And I think it's important to know that because the language, it feels out of control. It feels chaotic. It feels out of order because it's so wildly emotional and raw. But it's important to see that it happens within a well-defined structure. And here's what Sue Chan Ra says about this. Experiencing deep suffering pushes the individual and the community in multiple directions sometimes without constraints. Lamentation's use of the acrostic, that alphabet structure, 
offers the possibility of full disclosure. So again, bringing our full selves before God, but in a safe place. I think a key here is that despite the anger and the pain and the rage that we see Jeremiah expressing, we still see Jeremiah engaging God, right? Approaching God rather than detaching from God and pulling away from him. And we're reminded by the promise that God gave Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So you see, we can express anger, frustration, and pain toward God even as we seek him. Those things are not mutually exclusive. We can do those things together. And when we continue to seek God, God reminds us over and over and over again of his love for us. And then the next point, God's faithfulness and God's character draw us back to him. And that is what we see happen in Lamentations chapter 3. So after unleashing this slew of complaints against God, we see this massive tone shift in the middle of the chapter, beginning in verse 21. And here's what we see Jeremiah say. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen? In, in verse 22, the word we translate there as compassion is the Hebrew word hesed, um, which more literally means God's loving kindness, um, God's continued loyalty and commitment to his covenant relationship with his people. So as we as we lay ourselves bare before God and, and tell him how deeply we're, we're hurting and how deeply we're weary, God doesn't retaliate in anger. Instead, he continually reminds us of his loving kindness toward us in the past, in the present, and in the future, that, that despite the reality of the pain and the anguish that we feel, we also have a history of continual faithfulness from God that we can look to and take refuge in. I think it's important here to clarify the goal here is not to eliminate or suppress those feelings of pain and anguish. God isn't asking us to erase verses 1 through 20 and just, um, just leapfrog over to verse 21. Rather, God listens to our cries of pain. He remains faithfully present, and he helps guide us to remember his ever-present mercy and love in our lives in every circumstance. So as a result, lament. It helps us, it gives us a way to authentically bring our entire selves before God and ultimately draw nearer to God in the process. There's one more important truth in Lamentations 3 that, that I want to explore with you this morning, and it's, it's the community-focused aspect of lament. I think we can tend to make our faith a very 
personal and individualistic journey. And while there are certainly individual aspects to our faith and, and our relationship with God, our culture in America especially um, tends to think of God in much more individualistic terms than the communities in the Bible thought of. Um, and we see that biblical worldview as we continue in Lamentations chapter 3, um, that the, the lament is not simply a way for us to process our individual feelings before God, but rather it's a way for us to bind ourselves together with others in our community who are feeling pain and so that we can suffer together. So as we saw in verses 21 through 23, lament comes full circle for Jeremiah, right? As, as he rediscovers that hope that can come only from God. But importantly, we, we need to look and see what Jeremiah's reaction to that is. His reaction is not to distance himself from the pain that he and his community suffered as a result of the destruction of the city and the temple. And I think um, in our individualistic worldviews, it's, it's really easy for us to want to just escape into this spiritual vacuum of, oh, it's just me and God. I just want to get in this bubble with me and God. And we try to separate our relationship with God from the issues and the struggle that surround us. And we try to convince ourselves that you know, focusing on our relationship with God means removing ourselves from, from painful situations and that God wants to give us this, this ticket to, some, to a bubble of bliss. But that's totally not the reaction that we see modeled in Scripture. That's not what we see Jeremiah do. Instead, that hope that Jeremiah finds leads him to engage with the community on a much deeper level. Which brings us to our final point today, that our hope in God gives us the capacity to suffer alongside others. One more time, our hope in God gives us the capacity to suffer alongside others. And this is the beauty of Paul's encouragement to us in Romans, where he, where he admonishes us to mourn with those who mourn. See, when, when we're suffering, we can draw upon the power of Christian community to give us strength. And in particular, as the lament continues, we see the language shift. What was at the beginning was, I and me shifts to we and our. And we see Jeremiah confessing as part of the community. And here's what, here's what he says later on in, Jeremiah, in Lamentations 3. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. It's important to recognize here, Jeremiah himself had not rebelled against God. He had been a consistent, prophetic voice sharing God's concern for the direction that Israel was headed. In fact, uh, Soon Chan Ra says that Jeremiah is the one individual in the whole exile story that can claim innocence. But look what we see him saying here. We see Jeremiah voice this heartfelt confession because lament 
had led him to identify with the sin and the pain in his community of those that he loved. His lament, along with his hope in God, led him to stand with his community and lead them in crying out to God for forgiveness, even if Jeremiah himself was not individually guilty. So again, it's to focus away from the individual onto the community. And what, what Jeremiah emphasized um, wasn't his own innocence, but, but rather the pain that his community felt and his desire for the community to experience healing and restoration. And of course, right, that's what we see Jesus do. Jesus modeled this for us in all of its fullness, that he was completely innocent, right? He lived sinless, perfect life, but he willingly suffered for all people, for all of us, for our redemption. So, this leads to some important applications for us as Christians. Um, Soon Chan Ra puts it this way, the, the last passage we'll look, for, we'll look at from, the, from that book. In the same way that Jeremiah acknowledges corporate responsibility and offers a prayer of confession for, for our sin, we are challenged to understand the corporate aspects of human sinfulness. And he asks some really important questions here. How are 21st century Christians embracing that prophetic role? How are we moving beyond the hyper-individualism of our culture to follow the biblical example of lamentations? Those are some deep questions. I think a natural application of this is the racial tension and the pain that permeates our society. Um, an individualistic worldview would lead us to emphasize our own innocence, right? We, we look inside our hearts and at our lives and we try to ensure that, that our thoughts, our words, our actions aren't racist. And that's, that in itself is not a bad thing. Where it becomes problematic is if we let it stop there. See, our goal in that worldview would just be to declare ourselves innocent, to say, I'm not a racist. But that's not the example that Jeremiah provides for us here. Remember, even though he hadn't individually rebelled against God, he identifies with the community and is willing to create a personal connection with the sin of his community. So to return to Ra's question then, how are we embracing, how are we as the church embracing our prophetic role regarding racism? That is a huge question to tackle, one I don't have the time or the knowledge to fully address this morning. But I think we have a starting point. We can look to Jeremiah's lead in, in reframing the issue. So instead of just spending all this energy trying to prove our individual innocence to ourselves, we can do something different. We can, we can, we can observe the structural racism that has so deeply stained our society. We can learn about the history of discrimination that people of color have suffered in every generation in America. And we can mourn 
one another. Those of us who are white can, can stand alongside our friends of color who are deeply hurting. See, the goal then no longer becomes to prove why, it, why it's other people that are racist and, and not us as individuals, but rather to offer companionship and solidarity with those who are suffering. And then this, in turn, leads us to discover more of the roots of the community's suffering. As we listen, as we learn, and as we link arms with those who are in pain. So to wrap things up, I want to, I want to say thank you for, for engaging on this topic that I know feels uncomfortable. Um, and that, frankly, we don't talk about very much. Um, but that we see present throughout scripture. So as a potential application, I'd really, I'd encourage you to, to read some scriptures of lament this week. Um, Lamentations is a, is a great place to start. And as you do so, uncomfortable as it may be, try to allow yourself to experience the same rawness, the same vulnerability, of emotions that, and feelings that you see expressed in Lamentations. What are the things in your world, both individually and corporately, that are sources of, of anger and pain for you? Have you fully expressed those emotions to God? Have you laid yourself bare before God and allowed God to show you his loving kindness in the midst of those emotions. And finally, how can laments and your hope in God lead you to be more present in the suffering of others as well? As the worship team comes, let's pray. God, we thank you for being present here with us this morning. And we thank you that we can bring ourselves fully to you, God, that, that we don't need to hide before you, that we don't need to try to fake things around you. God, that, that we can scream out to you in pain, and you will listen, you will love, and you will continue to make yourself known to us as we seek after you. So, Lord, I pray that as hard as it may be, that you would help us to go through this process, Lord, both individually and as a community, God. God, there's so much hurt we're going through right now. We lay that at your feet. And we cry out to you, God. Lord, give us that hope. Lord, give us your loving kindness, remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, and as we find that hope, help us to link arms with others who are suffering and stand with them as a witness to your love and to that peace, that shalom that you long for us, God. 
this only through your strength. It's only through the power of your spirit. So God, we just throw ourselves at your feet, God. Wherever we are in the process. And you know, it's, it just goes round and round, God. We're, we're going to hurt. We hurt now. We're going to hurt in the future, God. Just continue to draw us back to you. And thank you for always being there. And always welcoming us. Just as we are. It's in your name I pray. Amen.